God said, man said, stands in defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As children of God, we are called to stand before the sons of Adam and their constant contradiction to defend the faith and to demonstrate what the sons of God look like. Demonstrate the difference. Is there a difference? As the born-again travel through life shoulder to shoulder, on the job, in the classroom, and the like with the sons of Adam, a demonstration takes place. We both encounter similar circumstances, and the difference between the two houses is the response and the ultimate results. All mankind is exposed to similar issues, alcohol or dope, lust, pride, slothfulness, hatred, bitterness, and more, but the demonstrable difference is seen in the response and the results. Proverbs eleven nineteen: as righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. For the believer's ministry to the lost, there is no greater witness than their performance before the sons of Adam. Shine, sons and daughters of God, shine. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again? Would you like to join the marvelous ranks of the sons and daughters of God? Would you like all your sin and shame expunged? And would you like to enjoy the power to live a glorious and exciting holy life Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the supernatural kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Psalms 11, verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Man said, The world's enlightened ones are all in agreement that God is simply a social construction that serves as a crutch for the simple-minded, Bible-thumping masses. Now the record. Satan from the very beginning attacks the foundations laid by God. He knows that when the foundations are destroyed, the entire house falls down. Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty four through 27, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In paradise, where immortal Adam and Eve awoke every morning to a beautiful postcard sky, Satan attacked the veracity of God's word, the ultimate foundation. Our mother Eve, in an act of unbelief and disobedience with the willing complicity of Adam, followed the devil. The result was the end of their immortality and their home in paradise, and all of their progeny, which includes you and me, were spiritually stillborn. Enemies of the cross of Christ challenge everything that has a godly foundation. It is required of them because this is the very M.O. of their evil and fearful father and leader, the devil. God's detractors must challenge anything with a godly foundation. They must. It's part of their spiritual DNA. They challenge the Bible's inerrant account of creation, all its marvelous miracles and commandments, and most assuredly the virgin-born, crucified, and resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. They challenge God's biological and social construction of the natural male-female bond, the marriage union of a man and a woman, and even the Boy Scouts of America. If there is any clean and righteous foundation, the sons of Adam will attack. 
In the past 50 years, historical uh, revisionists have been chipping away at the godly foundation of the United States of America, attempting to discredit any holy root from Christopher Columbus and forward. God Said Man Said has published numerous features on this subject. The following foundational paragraphs are from the God Said Man Said feature in Jesus' name. It's such a huge shock to the ungodly. According to a recent ABC News poll, 60% of Americans believe that God created the earth in six literal days. Pseudoscience is beside itself. How can this be? After over a century of being bombarded relentlessly by the universities, professors, textbook publishers, the general media, Hollywood, and more, America still believes. The very root of America from its very discovery is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and he still has strong root in this fair land. In 1492, the Americas were discovered by a devout Christian named Christopher Columbus. His name Christopher means Christ-bearer. Brother Columbus said that he was inspired and motivated by the Old Testament book of Isaiah. King James of England was the founding monarch of the United States. In 1606, he wrote the Evangelical Charter, which was designed to settle the colony of Virginia, part of that charter read, to make habitation and to deduce a colony of sundry of our people into that part of America commonly called Virginia and propagating the Christian religion to such people as yet live in darkness to bring settled and quiet government, end of quote. Pilgrim pastor John Robinson wrote the following letter in 1620 to the Mayflower pilgrims. Thus, this holy army of saints is marshaled here on earth by these officers under the conduct of their glorious emperor Christ. Thus, it marches in this most heavenly order and gracious array against all enemies, both bodily and ghostly, peaceable in itself as Jerusalem, terrible to the enemy as an army with banners, triumphing over their tyranny with patience, their cruelty with meekness, and over death itself with dying. Thus, through the blood of that spotless lamb and that word of their testimony, they are more than conquerors, bruising the head of the serpent. Yea, through the power of his word, they have power to cast down Satan like lightning, to tread upon serpents and scorpions, to cast down strongholds and everything that exalteth itself against God. End of quote. 123 of America's first 126 colleges were founded on Jesus Christ. Princeton University, founded in 1746, originally called the College of New Jersey, was headed by Reverend John Dickinson, who said, Cursed be that learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. End of quote. The Americas were discovered in Jesus' name. The United States was colonized in Jesus' name. Here, the governments were established in Jesus' name, and America's people were educated in Jesus' name. The glorious blessings of God have been bestowed upon this land in Jesus' name. Americans learned to read in many cases with the Bible as their textbook. Is America a Christian nation? Even as late as the 1960s, the public school day began with the Pledge of Allegiance, classroom prayer, and reading of the Bible. J.C. Fila, author of the book God Blessed America, chronicled many writings of U.S. presidents. Here he, had the, he had this to say about George Washington. George Washington, first president of the United States of America, 1789 to 1797. 
No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Regularly on awakening, Washington spent the time from six until, uh, five until six in the morning on his knees before a chair on which lay an open Bible. He retired every evening at nine o'clock to the same study, to the same chair, to the same open Bible. End of quotes. Excerpts follow from the God Said, Man Said feature is America, Christian Nation, Part 3. The following research was gathered from David Limbaugh's book, Persecution, and from the Christian Defense Fund's One Nation Under God. You may remember the statement, Give me liberty or give me death. It became the battle cry of the American Revolution. It was spoken, of course, by Patrick Henry, who became a five-time governor of the state of Virginia. Concerning the founding of America, he said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. On his deathbed, Henry said, Doctor, I wish you to observe how real and beneficial the religion of Christ is to a man about to die. I am, however, much consoled by reflecting that the religion of Christ has, from its first appearance in the world, been attacked in vain by all the wits, philosophers, and wise ones, aided by every power of man, and its triumphs have been complete. On September 6, 1774, the very first act of the Continental Congress, which became the United States of America, was to call its people to prayer. On May 16, 1776, Congress called for a day of humility, fasting, and prayer. The decree read, The Congress, desirous to have people of all ranks and degrees fully impressed with a solemn sense of God's superintending providence and of their duty devoutly to rely on His aid and direction, do earnestly recommend Friday, the 17th day of May, to be observed by the colonies as a day of humiliation fasting and prayer, that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions, and by sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease God's righteous displeasure, and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, obtain this pardon and forgiveness. Those attempting to rewrite history and to expunge the record of Jesus Christ conveniently refuse to recognize that the United States Supreme Court begins each day with, God save the United States and this honorable court. They refuse to acknowledge that the U.S. House of Representatives was also used as a, a church until after the Civil War. They also must not be aware that the walls of the U.S. Rotunda depict a pilgrim's prayer, the water baptism of Pocahontas, DeSoto erecting the cross of Jesus on the banks of the Mississippi, and George Washington passing into heaven, or that the very first session of the U.S. Supreme Court began with a four-hour communion service in honor and remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus the founding spirit of America? The history continues. Since 1789, chaplains have ministered to members of Congress led uh, by the morning prayer, and by the way, are paid by the federal government. End of quotes. P. 
Peter Marshall and David Manuel, in their history book, The Light and the Glory, weigh in with more on one of the most influential of America's founding fathers, George Washington. Some enthusiastic Christians claim that Washington was a committed Christian, which arch-conservatives pointed out that these enthusiasts were prone to claim that anyone who had ever alluded to God was a believer. They noted that Washington referred to God in such general terms as divine providence and heaven, which smacked to them of the deism that was at that time making such incursions. It was an important question because in the three centuries of American history which this book covers, only three other men played as pivotal a role as that of George Washington, Columbus, Winthrop, and Whitefield. In the lives of all three, the measuring rods of their ability to carry out their divine callings had been trust in him, sacrifice, and selflessness. By chance, we stumbled across an old book out of print for more than a half a century, which provided many of the answers. We found it on a rainy Tuesday in the stacks of the Yale Divinity School's library. It was written by a man named William Johnson, and it bore the title, George Washington, the Christian. What we came upon inside ranked in excitement with the discovery of Columbus's heaven-sent rebuke. When he was about 20, George Washington filled 24 pages of a little manuscript book with some of the most beautiful prayers we have ever read. All of them were written out in his own hand, and he titled the little book Daily Sacrifice. The first entry was subtitled Sunday Morning and contained these words. Let my heart, therefore, gracious God, be so affected with the glory and majesty of thine honor that I may not do mine own work but wait on thee, and discharge those weighty duties which thou requires of me. And in the next entry, Sunday evening, are these words. O most glorious God, I acknowledge and confess my faults in the weak and imperfect performance of the duties of this day. I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sins, but so coldly and carelessly that my prayers are become my sin and stand in need of pardon. I have heard thy holy word, but with such deadness of spirit that I have been an unprofitable and forgetful hearer. But, O God, who art rich in mercy and plenteous in redemption, mark not, I beseech thee, what I have done amiss. Remember that I am but dust, and remit my transgressions and negligences and ignorances, and cover them all with the absolute obedience of thy dear Son, that those sacrifices of sin, praise, and thanksgiving which I have offered may be accepted by thee in and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered upon the cross for me. In Monday morning's entry, young Washington had written, Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by thy Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ. And in Monday evening's, Thou gavest thy son to die for me, and hast given me assurance of salvation upon my repentance, and sincerely endeavoring to conform my life to his holy precepts and example. The man who wrote these words was not a deist, but a very devout Christian. His mother had been a strong source of spiritual life in his early years. On the day he left home to begin a lifetime of serving his country, she said to him, Remember that God is our sure trust. To him I commend you. And then she added, My son, neglect not the duty of secret prayer. 
The extensive notes on the margins of his prayer-filled notebook indicate that Washington heeded this device. His discipline of private prayer was to stand him in good stead in the years to come. Entering the Virginia militia as a young officer, Washington distinguished himself in combat during the French and Indian Wars. One of the campaigns in which he served included the Battle of the Monongahela, July 9, 1755. In this action, the British forces were decimated and his commanding officer, General Edward Braddock, was killed. Fifteen years, years after this battle, and his lifelong friend, Dr. Crake, were exploring wilderness territory in the Western Reserve. Near the junction of the Kanawha and Ohio Rivers, a band of Indians came to them with an interpreter. The leader of the band was an old and venerable chief who wished to have words with Washington. A, can a council fire was kindled, and this is what the chief said. I am a chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far Blue Mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief. I called to my young men and said, Mark yon tall and, uh, tall and, and daring warrior. He is not of the red coat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do. Himself alone is exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which but for him knew not how to miss. "'Twas all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded him from the harm. He cannot die in battle. I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there is something that bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen. The great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. Confirmation of this episode can be found in Bancroft's definitive 19th century history of the United States. And at the same battle, according to other sources, as well as Washington's journal, the 23-year-old colonel had two horses shot out from under him and four musket balls passed through his coat. There was nothing wrong with the Indians' marksmanship. Death, wrote Washington to his brother Jack, was leveling my companions on every side of me. But by all the powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected. This conviction was further shared by Samuel Davis, the famous Virginia clergyman who wrote, To the public I point out that heroic youth whom I cannot but hope providence has preserved in so signal a manner for some important service to this country. Indeed, such was Washington's fame, that across the ocean Lord Halifax was to ask, Who is Mr. Washington? I know nothing of him but that they say he behaved in Braddock's action as bravely as if he really loved the whistling of bullets. This was God's man and chosen for the hour of America's greatest crisis, end of quote. Satan's minions continue to chip away at the righteous foundations, but 2 Timothy two fifteen through 19 reads, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, 
the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Satan's minions chip, because that is what Satan's minions do. God said, Psalms 11, verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Man said, The world's enlightened ones are all in agreement that God is simply a social construction that serves as a crutch for the simple-minded masses. Now you have the record.